Welcome to Sequelitis. Yes, welcome to a special holiday Star Wars edition of Sequelitis. This is the uh, holiday special version where we talk about the prequels. We are getting ready for the new Star Wars movie to come out. The first new Star Wars movie in about a decade, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I think the last one um, was 2005, so it'll be 10 years later. Why don't we start off, uh, what are your early memories of Star Wars? Uh, Star Wars, well, we had the VHS tapes at my house. Okay. And uh, we would watch them like on repeat. We taped them off the TV because it was before the days when you could actually buy the tapes. Yeah. And you could buy blank tapes and record stuff off television. And then we would have three movies on every blank tape. And then we would have a whole Rolodex of what three movies were on each tape. Yeah. And then we had about 90 movies up on the shelf, or 90 VHS tapes. And everyone had three movies on it. And one of them had Star Wars, and we would watch the shit out of Star Wars. Now, when you would record stuff off TV, would you always try to make it a point to, you know, pause it during the commercials, skip over those, and then start recording as soon as the show came back on? Well, I wasn't in charge of doing the recording. Okay. Uh, my dad would do that, because he, he really cared about having it done like that. He wanted it just right? Yeah. That's the way I remember it. Yeah, not my parents. My parents sacrificed perfection over not having to do it themselves, so they let us handle it, and... Uh, Sometimes we would get movies to where you would miss uh, part of a scene because we forgot to start recording, and it would be almost to the next commercial break before somebody would remember. Well, we would also rent them from the video store, and we'd have two VCRs and hook them up to each other and record yeah, it that Yeah, dub way. them over. Yeah, did you guys do that? Uh, yeah, we did that a couple of times. We didn't do it a lot, though. We would just try and catch things on TV and then record it off the television, so that way we could just watch it anytime we wanted to after that. Oh, uh, yeah. No, that works, too. What's funny is there's so few movies that they play on TV that were worth rewatching over and over and over. But yeah, about Star Wars though, I remember we would watch it, uh, and I remember telling like our babysitters about it. Something about I was really fascinated about how there was um, there was one in number two in Empire Strikes Back. There was one um, trooper that was like. He had like a gown on. Do you remember that? He had like a he was black and he had like a gown on. Oh yeah, in uh, Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, yeah, and he walked in when they were on Hoth. Oh, in right? a red one too. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I think what they were going for is they were they were taking uh, a little bit of that sort of intimidating look that you'd have with some of the SS officers from um, Nazi Germany in World War Two. I think that's the look they were incorporating there. Yeah, I think that's safe to say. Yeah, I can remember as a, as a little kid, one of my earliest memories of Star Wars was sitting down and watching a broadcast on TV of Empire Strikes Back. And I st- distinctly remember just watching the whole battle scene on Hoth. And my mom, you know, uh, a lot of it I don't remember, but my mom told me that, you know, anytime Star Wars would come on TV in, in the early 80s, that was quite frequently... She said it was perfect because she knew she could turn it on and I would just sit there and watch it. <laughs> but then I remember, you know, by by the late 80s, early 90s, I didn't give a shit about Star Wars anymore. You know, I was into Ninja Turtles. And then the 80s and 90s were all about, you know, the new fad things. G.I. Joe, He-Man, yeah. um, go, real Ghostbusters, right. uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Captain Planet, whatever came after that. Those are all like future sequelitis episodes. <laughs> I think I think the uh, Captain Planet movie should be 
a sequelitis episode. Oh my god, I don't know. I don't know if I've even seen that. No, there is no movie. I'm oh, okay. We write the movie. Oh, we write the Captain Planet. All right, stay tuned for that, folks. Anyway, thanks for listening to sequelitis. No, but uh, but anyway, so about uh, Star Wars. So we want to talk about the prequels a little bit, but it's pretty treacherous uh, water because where well, do you start? Let me let me call a quick audible because before we get into that, oh, yeah. now you and I we're both gonna go watch the new movie right after it comes out. I know you're gonna go see it like the night that it opens, right? I'm trying to. I don't have my tickets yet. But oh, okay. I think I'll be able to pull it off. Well, I bought my tickets, but I made it a point to like try and get tickets to where I didn't think there's gonna be like crazy crowds. I want um, a big crowd. But and I, yeah, the biggest reason why I'm actually interested in seeing it is to be able to sit down and talk about it on the podcast. But as I've sat down and I've watched the trailers and I've listened to a few people dissect the trailers and what they expect from the movie, it has gotten me a bit interested in it. Although I am wary of J.J. Abrams. We do have an episode where we talk about the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies. And I know you're much more of a J.J. Abrams fan than I am. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, but for me, I'm not... But I've actually seen all of his movies and I don't think you've seen like hardly any of them. No, no, I've seen his movies. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I've seen his movies. I've seen them all. <laughs> well, I know the so one that we where... really get into a fight about is the monster movie, um, Cloverfield, because you contend that's not a J.J. Abrams directed movie, which is true, but it is a movie that has J.J. Abrams' signature all over it, and I'm just not huge on that. So I'm not a huge fan of the show Lost. I haven't really watched well, I much did, of that. I never saw Lost. I'm, I'm not a, a TV show guy. I'm a movie guy. But for the record, and we are recording this, so this is going to be saved unless my computer kills itself. Yeah. Uh, I do like Star Trek 2009. Yeah, I, I think too. it's a solid movie. It's entertaining. It's not perfect. It has its flaws, but good movie. But imagine he's made two of these movies now, and now he's got to have a good grip on how to do it. Maybe. Or has he spent all of his magic? Well... If you if you only had Star Trek 2009 to go on, you could be very hopeful for what he could do with with Star Wars, especially with the trailers that have been released so far that make it seem like it's a very interesting story and it doesn't have any of the silliness of the prequels. Yeah. But if you watch Into Darkness, like that was a movie that, you know, I, I think I remember watching the trailers and thinking like this could be a pretty badass movie and then just realizing the deflation of, you know, Star Trek fans, J.J. Abrams fans, after the movie was released and they watched it and just how it was a disappointing movie. And we have an episode where we talk about what a disappointing movie it is. Well, for me, it plays as a good movie until you start thinking about it, sort of the after-movie experience. I think it's an enjoyable movie to sit there and watch. It's just when you try to pick it apart and say, like, how smart was it, how good was it, I think it falls apart. But oh yeah, I think it gets an A plus on enjoyability and like watching and, and an enjoyable time. If you walk it. into it the first time with your brain off, you can certainly enjoy the movie. But it's nowhere near as good as the first one was. With this movie, I really do feel like it has a lot of potential to be good, but it's also a very smart move. It's been ten years. Enough of the ill will from the prequels has died down. People are ready for a continuation of the Star Wars series. Yeah. It's no longer in the hands of George Lucas, which is a really, really interesting move. Yet at the same time, they're going to have Luke, Leia, Han Solo, and Chewie in the movie. Millennium Falcon's going to be in the movie. Certainly there's going to be some flashback scenes. And then you will kind of fast forward to where now you're looking at the new generation of the citizens of the Star Wars galaxy. Okay, so can we do our predictions for what this one's going to be about? 
I don't think we need to worry about doing predictions for what this is about. I think we should more be concerned about what our predictions are for the potential quality for the movie. Oh, the potential quality for the movie. Well, it depends on what it's about, I guess. I mean, I think the quality will be A+, and I think what it's actually about will be that after movie... You know, did I enjoy it? Am I still going to keep kind of watching it? Yeah, conversation I think, that you have. I think that's where you really start to realize something that you were alluding to a moment ago, which is has J.J. Abrams improved and matured as a filmmaker? Has he really taken that step and become golden era Steven Spielberg and, and George Lucas? Because especially you can tell there's there's so much inspiration from Steven Spielberg in the movies that J.J. Abrams has made. You you see that. St- kind of the direction that he wants to go but at the same time you know he's mature enough and he's developed enough as a filmmaker he's a huge name one of the biggest names in hollywood right now oh, yeah that he's not living in his shadows he is his own filmmaker and so i'm hoping that the star wars film my my optimistic view of it is that the force awakens will be jj abrams really embracing who he is as a director and making a statement and if he does that it will be one of the best star wars films ever and hopefully one of the best films of the year and of the last several years. I think it's really going to depend also on these new people that he cast and how they play the parts. Because I kind of get sick of all these like model actors that all just are so good looking and that's their whole job is to just stand there and, and look good. And I think yeah. they very much made that mistake with the whole prequels. And I hate to see that again. You got some good looking people, good. You know, they're nice to look on the poster, but can they act? Are they going to be the emotional rock that we need them to be luke skywalker i mean i don't know if his acting is great but he's a very 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 good actor compared to like hayden christensen and you know even natalie portman who we know is a good actress somehow in those movies she just wasn't really given anything to work with i mean george lucas was not concerned with writing in a well thought out a well realized female character now let's transition into those prequel movies that is something that if you look at those prequels the only really solid actor that you had in those movies, outside of maybe Christopher Lee, and he had such little to work with and, and so few things to do, Ewan McGregor was by far your best, most charismatic, most interesting actor to watch. And yet at the same time, the Obi-Wan character that they gave him was incredibly boring. And they were also trying to do a new um, filmmaking technique where it's all green screen. You know, the whole movie is made on green screen. Yeah. That was the first time that that had ever been attempted before. And man, does it really look like it, and it has not aged very well over the years. Yeah, I agree. I, I really think you go back and you look at it, and you just see some of those effects, and you see what they try to do. And and one of the things that that does is that really enforces, like, what a travesty the Star Wars special edition movies were. Yeah. You know, and that George Lucas wanted to go back and add in all the things that he couldn't add in when he originally shot those movies... And they're just eyesores. They stick out so badly. Yeah. But then when you have an entire film that's just built around stuff that you see that in the performances of the actors. Because again, one of the things we're talking about is the fact that the actors in those movies are just, they are lesser versions of the actors from the originals. Yeah. And, And time can attest to that. Where's Hayden Christensen now? I mean, Natalie Portman, of course, 
she's considered a great talent, but in those movies, nobody looks back at those movies and say, see, that's when you could really tell right. Natalie Portman was good. Yeah, she had earned her name before that, and so did Ewan McGregor. Yeah, and Ewan McGregor, I, I think uh, the Star Wars prequels really took away a lot of his motivation to do things and be the A-list big star that he was positioned to become, because... What is he doing now? Well, he did do a lot of big, you know, A-list movies when when Hollywood was there and had his back, and maybe his time period is just kind of over. It was all around that time, but I'm saying since Revenge of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith. I know there were a few Ewan McGregor movies, but you know, in the late '90s, early 2000s, everyone seemed like I mean, Ewan McGregor was going to be huge, and then he did the Star Wars movies, and it was like, holy shit. This is going to be like the decade, the next couple of decades, the age of Ewan, and yeah, you know. At the very least, we'll always have Train Spotting to look back on because that's a really insane film and a really good performance by him, and it's a very iconic film. So let's kind of go sequelitis on the Star Wars prequels. What would you like to have seen done differently with those movies? Well, first and foremost, like I think about the things that rubbed me really raw. One thing that I, that I really did not understand and rubbed me the wrong way was how they kept talking about how the, the Jake Lloyd, Anakin Skywalker kid was already too old to become a Jedi. I thought that that was a really ridiculous sort of conceit. Like, I got what they were sort of saying with that, but at the same time, we saw Luke do it when he was much older than that. Yeah. And what is the purpose for that? Well, and one of the one of the major issues that I, I have with this film, too, is something that we've talked about with some other franchises we've discussed, and it's when you start getting into the territory of this is destiny, this is the character's destiny, you really take away some of the suspense and and some of the things that the audience can anticipate because you're telegraphing to them that these are things that are going to happen, that you don't have to be concerned with someone saying like, oh no, Anakin is far too old because they're already saying he's destined to become this person who does all of this with the force and the light and the dark side. So you know what's going to happen. There's no suspense in that whatsoever. So it takes away any of the real push to watch and see what happens. You know it's going to work itself out. You know that he's going to get trained. You know that people are going to put up reasons that they're against it. Yeah, Yeah, they're going to be hesitant, but they're going to eventually go through with it. You know what his problem was? It was what we were talking about with John Connor the other day. He was like a Boy Scout. He should have been more of a John Connor. Yeah. That would have made more sense. I mean, if you started off the movie and when they first meet Anakin Skywalker, he's a thief. Yeah. You know, and that's how they come across him. That would be something really interesting. But instead, you just have the incredibly bland character of Qui-Gon Jinn, played by a talented, capable actor with nothing to do. Yeah. You know, he just looks and he's like, well, the script says this boy is going to become some great thing, so I will take the boy. One of the things, we've got got our friend Arturo listening in, and Arturo is a bit younger than both of us. Say hi to everybody. Hey, guys. One of the things he talked about was he was young when, when those movies came out. Yeah. You and I, well, especially myself because I'm older than you. Yeah. You know, I was already in my, my late teens, early 20s when that movie came out. And yeah. so I was in high school when it came out. I had some fond memories of watching, you know, Star Wars when I was a kid. And that was one of the, that was one of the reasons why the original Star Wars trilogy was so successful. Was it was one of those stories that was both entertaining and appealing to kids and to adults. And it was a sci-fi story, but it was perfectly made and tailored for mainstream audiences. Kids could get it. You know, there was some scary stuff. There was some action. There was some adventure. And it was nothing that was 
there were no barriers that were put up, you know, to keep people from really being able to get into these movies, to like these movies, and to really understand and embrace them. Yeah. And it's not so much that the prequels did that, that put that it put up barriers, but you really did get a sense. If you were someone who grew up and knew the original trilogy before the special editions came out, yeah. by the time you got around and you sat down and you watched Phantom Menace... Especially when you rewatched it later, you got the sense that this is a movie for kids. And of course, you know, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time talking about it, but the character of Jar Jar Binks, you know, what is it? Lucas has said that it was something to where he really wanted to appeal to a younger child audience. Well, it was the voice and like the effect of his head was so bad. Like that's what made that such a bad thing. He had a bad voice, he had a bad cartoonish head. And the thing about Star Wars was that it had great effects. And then, so to give us this new Star Wars where the effects are so bad. Yeah. That was bad. Well, and I think the concern, too, was they really realized by, you know, the time we get to Return of the Jedi that the characters of C-3PO and R2-D2 were such great um, comedic comedy relief characters that this movie was lacking in that. You do have an appearance of C-3PO. And I remember the very first time I watched the movie, I was like, wait. Is that really going to be C-3PO? Because that seems... It seems weird. It seems like something doesn't add up. Right. And it's because, of course, they tried to shoehorn in that character. But right. still, they had to find a way to, you know, have that comic relief. And they wanted it all throughout the movie. So they give you the character of Jar Jar Binks. And everybody hated him. Except for young kids. Young kids loved him. Well, the whole idea of trade embargoes. The whole idea of Senate meetings. The idea of Jedi Councils. Those are some of the big bad buzzwords that oh, are yeah. all over that movie. I mean, because you could keep Jar Jar Binks and still have a really good, solid movie, a really good, solid trilogy. But when you have stuff that, yeah, the movie starts off with a trade embargo. And it starts off with some lame-ass hostage negotiations. Here's what I would do. When I sequelitis, when I prequelitis these movies, yeah, I would start off, I would go right into a battle scene. On the surface of what is the planet again? Tatooine. No. No, no, not Tatooine. Um, Coruscant. No, no. Coruscant is the uh, city planet. Which planet are you talking the about? The planet that uh, Amidala's from. So Amidala's planet, like that's you've got to start off with the invasion on her planet mm -hmm. because then you can have if you really do want to go back to the Senate, you could have a much more interesting story to where there is an invasion on going on and nobody can really get off the planet to tell the tell the Senate what is happening. And so nobody believes that there really is an invasion because they're like, well, we don't see any evidence of that. Whereas to the people on the planet, and you start to understand like, okay, here's some problems that you have inherent with the Empire, the Republic, to where something can be happening on the surface of this planet because the vast distances of space, people on Coruscant in the Galactic Senate, they have no idea what's going on. But I think still you need to scrap that all together. And for me... I think something that was really, really missing from these movies in a way that you could really give something unique to the fans of Star Wars is you have a whole sequence in the movie to where you go into how did the Jedi Order form? How did Jedis come to be? What is a Jedi? What role do the Jedis play within the Galactic Senate and Republic and Empire? They're apparently Order of Knights that are responsible for task keeping but until you get to the third movie you don't really even see them doing much well i take that back in the, in the end of the second movie 
that's when you have them all show up and then they all get killed by the end of the third movie, which is another thing that doesn't make sense because you're told explicitly in the original trilogy that basically the Jedi Order was outlawed. But it's like, okay, it was outlawed by Vader and the Emperor. Like, what exactly happened? Why would the public turn on them if Vader and the Empire are bad guys? How does that all work? And we just, we were giving a half-ass green screen story. Well, I'm trying to think about, you know, the story from like A, B, and C. And I would say like the first thing that they did wrong is they started following around Ewan McGregor and Qui-Gon Jinn. And it should have been uh, Anakin Skywalker's movie. It should have been, he was the one that should have been the first, second, and third act for about. And if he comes into contact with Ewan McGregor and Obi-Wan in the course of his adventure, whatever his adventure is, his hero's journey, then then he comes across those people. But to make him a sideline character on these other Jedi's adventure, I think is the first foul move that they made. Yeah, especially if you're not going to go into the history of the Jedi how the Jedi came to be. They want to make it seem like it was Obi-Wan Kenobi's origin story, but it's it's not. He's already training. You already know that he's going to become a Jedi Knight. He's he's already basically there. In fact, he's it turns out that he is stronger and more powerful than Qui-Gon Jinn because he's able to defeat a foe that, you know, Qui-Gon was not able to overcome. Yeah. But yeah, that that is a huge mistake because you're sold right from the beginning. And I remember I had a poster that I bought before the movie came out. (laughs) And it was a little poster and it was of Anakin walking around a hut on Tatooine and his shadow cast the profile of Darth Vader. And I thought that was such a cool image because I was like, yes, this is what the prequels are going to be about. How this little kid went from being a slave and becoming Darth Vader. I mean, this was on the heels of a movie like Gladiator. That was all about how does someone go from being a slave to being someone who overthrows an emperor. Yeah. But that's not what you got at all. You got this weird, crazy, cartoonish series of movies that really, really tried to go dark and goth by the time you get to the third one. But something I was telling Arturo earlier is that ultimately looking back, it feels like the first two movies especially were just there to set up the cartoon, the animated cartoon series, The Clone Wars. That makes you really feel bad as a longtime fan of the series that it's like, oh, okay, this is just a commercial for a cartoon series that isn't meant for me and that I'll never watch. Again, it's it's frustrating and, and this is, my whole thing about sequelitis is always looking at movies that could have done so much with what they were giving in terms of yeah. the characters, the actors, the writers, the directors, the budgets, just all of the things that they had going for them. And then you just get shat out this inferior movie instead of getting something that was really good, entertaining, and classic. Because that's something when you find a movie that really does provide you a lot of entertainment value and a lot of rewatchability, and the ability to sit there and talk about the story with your friends and sometimes learn new things about the film that you never thought about before, that's a real gift that you get from everybody that was involved in the production. Whereas with the prequels, you don't get that at all. All all you end up doing is just talking about how disappointed and frustrated and sometimes angry you were with the movies. Well, what about the big lightsaber uh, set pieces that they do in those movies? Do Do we like those? Do we hate those? What's the final judgment on those? With those, you really do have, and Red Letter Media breaks this down so well, but it was just so choreographed. It was just like everything with the blue screen effects. Yeah. To where it is something to where you don't feel like there's a lot of imagination. It's 
you you do see in the behind the scenes footage it's just hours and hours and days and days of them rehearsing all of these moves right. that are based on all of these martial arts styles and yeah. even wood chopping in a real fight people don't do choreographed moves i mean go watch mma that's not how people fight like highly trained fighters don't you know, fight to where it's like, I know you're going to punch here, so I'm going to block here, and then I'm going to counter here, but you're going to block that because you know to expect it because we choreographed all of this. And you can see that right. when you watch it. There's so much to think about with the prequels, and I feel like I haven't really pre-gamed a lot of my big ideas for it yet. Well, let me just throw some ideas out to you, and maybe it'll jog some of the ideas that, that you have. I mean, of course, because we always want to spitball things back and forth. Yeah. But so my proposal is that the first prequel movie really is about how you you get the history of the Jedi. You get the history of the Galactic Empire and how everything comes together. And maybe you don't have to tell all of that in the first film, but if you set enough of it up and you really whet people's appetites yeah. for exploring this universe, yeah. it does set up something really interesting. And what do you think about my proposal that when they do first meet... Anakin Skywalker, that he is a thief. And that he is somebody that does display that he does have force powers, but he just doesn't realize what he's capable of, and nobody else around him really knows how to help develop him. Which is why you have Qui-Gon Jinn become so sort of hell-bent on saying, like, we're going to take him back, we're going to train him, because we can use these powers to do a lot of good. Well, I think you should be doing, like, a dual storyline with Anakin and with the Jedi's. And they're coming together and they're meeting on this planet. And I think Anakin should be a lot more of a mysterious kind of figure. That people are sort of talking about him. That for some reason they need to go see this boy. He's got special abilities. And I like what you're saying about how he has some... There's some Force stuff there that you can tell with him. Which is what gets the Jedi's really interested in him. That he's... Maybe he's working on developing those powers by himself. But he's more focused on the dark side. Just because he hasn't had the training. Yeah, and instead you get the pod race, which is like just watching one of your friends play a video game. Yeah, it's awful. It is one of those things to where people have said before, there just wasn't anybody around to tell George Lucas that his bad ideas were bad ideas. And the pod race really was a bad idea. Like, the pod race is something that I remember when I was a kid, one of my favorite Star Wars movies wasn't part of the actual Star Wars trilogy it was the Battle for Endor, I think it was. Yeah, I used to you like know? that one too. Yeah, I loved that as a kid. And the thing about it, it was it was a little standalone story, and it was perfect for what it was, which was it was for kids. And that's the thing, is you could have Anakin's pod race. That's a way that you have that's a little true side story. Those two movies that they made about Ewoks on Endor, like that's the most realist sequelitis that has ever existed. Oh, go back and watch the Star Wars holiday special, bro. Yeah, no, I've seen it. <laughs> that wasn't even like a real movie. The Battle for Endor, like, that was like a real movie. Yeah, that was a real movie. But if if it set out to say like, hey, look, we're going to take these Star Wars characters. And really, it was just the Ewoks. Do whatever the fuck we want. Yeah, and we're going to make a story that's entertaining for kids. I mean, I remember that made me like really wish that I lived in a place like Northern California and the Pacific Coast to where they had all of those trees because that looked so cool to me as a kid. Yeah. It really captured my imagination to where it still affects me to this day. It's something to where as I did grow up, like I don't look at the battle for Endor and go like, oh man, that was such a great piece of cinema. I was like, 
that was a cool kids movie and I really loved it. Yeah. And that's the thing about the pod race is like the pod race could be such a cool kids movie for kids that some adults can watch and be like, eh, okay, well, I get this. It's also about your expectations because you didn't even know that existed and now you're like you're watching it. Battle for Indoor, but like with Phantom Menace, you know it's coming out, you're anticipating it, you're buying your midnight ticket, and then you're disappointed. It's yeah, like you don't think you're going to be falling around some goofy amphibian rabbit, and then you're going to watch some little kid drive around in a pod race for, what, 15 minutes of the movie? Take so much of that stuff out, jump right into the battle scene, really talk about who the Jedi are, what role they play in the Galactic Empire and in keeping order, and how there's, there's potential to really upset that order to where you present a plot and you present a conflict to where it's like, look, the Jedi are really above their heads. Yeah. And that if Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan aren't able to find a way to resolve this whole thing peacefully and they have to resort to violence themselves, yeah. it's going to cause a real problem for the Jedi to where people are going to start to distrust them. And that starts the path to where you get to the point where you realize, okay, the public, they mistrust the Jedi. They don't think the Jedi were who they were. Yeah. That's how you get to, oh, okay, that's why Obi-Wan Kenobi went into hiding you know, by the time you get to A New Hope. But you don't you don't get any of that stuff. Yeah. And so what our job is right here is to figure out how do you get that stuff? How do you fix well, what I'm, went so I, wrong? I'm trying to step through some of the plot elements in my head right now, but I can definitely tell you some of the questions that need answered. It's like, I don't have the answers to all these questions, but some of the questions that you have to think about is, you know, how is the force that's going to become the Galactic Empire? It's got to be there in some rudimentary form in these early movies. Yeah. And how is, its re how is it rearing its head? How is it affecting the lives of Obi-Wan Kenobi? How is it affecting the life of Anakin Skywalker? And what puts those two characters on a collision course to find each other? Yeah. You know, I don't have those answers, but those are the answers that you have to figure out. Well, the way that they have it happen in Phantom Menace is the story has it so that these characters need to meet up, so they have to go to this place to meet each other, so that's what happens. And you do need something where you need them to come across each other. And they do try to play it off in the movie as, oh, well, they need this part for the ship. But the only reason they need the part for the ship is because that's what the writer wrote. The writer wrote that the only person they go to is Quato, or yeah. what was his name? What? Watto, Watto. He had some racial character. Oh, he lives in the uh, sand, so let's make him like uh, a Turkish person. But he has wings and a big, ugly nose. Again, it's just, it's so lazy. It's basically when you sit down with a person who doesn't know a lot about script writing and you go, look, these are the things, these are the objectives that you have to meet. Yeah. And they meet all of the objectives in the least imaginative way possible. It is a lot like that. Now, here's something else that I had proposed to you before we had started recording. But one of the things I talked about is you do start off the first movie, and I think what you have to do is the first movie needs to be about Obi-Wan's journey. From a very, very green Padawan who is trying to really prove to his master that he can control his abilities to harness the Force and to use it. At the same time, you could even have Qui-Gon saying like, okay, how do we resolve this situation? We're in a really bad situation. How do we find a way to resolve this with the least amount of violence and bloodshed possible? Because Jedi were supposed to be keepers of the peace. So you make the first movie about Obi-Wan's journey. And along the way, that's when he meets Anakin. But you don't make the movie about Anakin. And I know ultimately you said that Anakin did become a side character in his own story, and, and that's right. true. 
And so I'm saying, if that's what you were going to do all along, here's where you make a better movie. Because if you think about that movie, who is the main character of The Phantom Mendes? Yeah, and no, there's no main characters at There's all. not a main character. And if you have to try and describe the characters in the movie without using their physical appearance, it's so difficult to do. Yeah. Because there is nothing about... I mean, the most defined character that you have is fucking Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. So that's what you have in the first movie. The first movie is the journey of Obi-Wan Kenobi as he gets to a point to where he has to assume, you know, the role of the master from his position of the apprentice. Well, I would say that it's hard to rethink the Phantom Menace because, like, basically everything with it is wrong. So it's hard. I, I think that makes it easy to rethink it. <laughs> well, I mean, if it, it just, did, like, it, half the things right no, and no half the things wrong... There's nowhere to start from, is what I'm saying. What I'm proposing is where yeah. to start from is my idea. The second movie really needs to be about how the Emperor, or how Palpatine turns from Senator Palpatine to the Emperor, and how he really assumes power and starts to really lay out his plan. Because what is his plan all along? What he is... just wants absolute power? No, I don't know either. But what if Anakin was like a Padawan of the Emperor, but he was trying to play like a double agent kind of a role? And like, what if he got as a Padawan to the Emperor, like by the end of the second movie? And then during the third movie, you thought, well, maybe he was going to come back to the good side, or maybe he was going to stay with Palpatine, and then he ended up staying. It See, I like that, and, and I, I want to take, take your idea and kind of infuse it into my idea, because my idea is that the third movie really is Anakin's journey. Like, to this point, Anakin has been a minor character in the first movie. Yeah. He's been a supporting character in the second movie. Now you make him the main character in the third movie. And what the third movie is about is how Anakin Skywalker is sent to be a double agent. He's, he's sent to spy on Emperor Palpatine. Because now the Jedi realize that there's a power play in place where Palpatine is, is able to, because of all these things that are going on, he is able to really assume a lot of control and a lot of power. Mm -hmm. Sort of in the way that you had after September 11th with the Bush administration and the Patriot Acts and everything. Yeah. During that time period, you had anybody who was opposed to what was happening with the way we we're going to war, with the way we we're spying on our own citizens. Anybody who said, hey, look, this is really a violation of our rights and this is giving this office way too much power. This is giving the government way too much power yeah. over us. Mm -hmm. And anybody who said that was like, you're not patriotic. You you you're with the enemy. You know you're not for what's in our best interest. Yeah. And they're like, no, I am what for what's in your best interest. You put the Jedi in that position to where they go, look, what Palpatine is doing, is really not in our best interest. He's only doing things to benefit himself, and everybody's shouting the Jedi down. So then the Jedi say, like, hey, look. Anakin, we want you to go and work alongside Palpatine. Because the way that they do do it in the second and third movies, it, it, it's so confusing, like, what exactly is happening? Yeah. But that's a way you can see that Palpatine is able to really get influence over Anakin. And at the same time, Palpatine starts to realize, like, hey, this guy is more powerful than anybody realizes. And he's somebody that I will need by my side. And you see him over time start to seduce him, but you're thinking the whole time that Anakin's not going to fall for this. Anakin's not going to fall for this. And then you do have a real tragic moment to where Anakin just swings over to that other side. Yeah, That's somewhere where I would really need to think about how that would work. But certainly the way that they did do it in Revenge of the Sith was just was bad. not satisfying at all. I mean, I've got the high ground, Anakin. That was a... Yeah. What, what, are, what are some of your thoughts on it? 
Oh, they should They had so much. I feel like he half-fasted, honestly. Well, who, now, who do you mean by he? Do you mean Lucas? The, the script writers. Okay. Everything about it. Uh, the acting, um, I didn't know much about acting, but I, now that I'm like more older and more into film and like actually have some acting experience and got some lessons, they aren't that good. They, honestly, <laughs> no. they, there's some flaws in it and just their face reactions and the way they would speak to one another, their interactions, they were kind of bad. Emotionless. Yeah, the yeah. the scenes between Padme and Anakin oh, are yeah. just there they're they're comically oh, bad. Oh yeah, the sand is coarse and it gets everywhere. Like their transition <laughs> from their love and their professional life, there there was no difference. Like they, yeah, like, there was you couldn't even tell. Like they were like they were like no one were like professional. Not now, Anakin or like even after <laughs> is like you're still acting the same. Like your tone of voice hasn't changed. Your feeling hasn't changed. <laughs> There's no love interest. Like, what, yeah. What? I mean, if you if you played Padme, if, if you wrote Padme and, and had um, Natalie Portman, who was totally capable, played in a way that here is a young girl who is just starting to realize her own sexuality. But at the same time, she's been groomed to be this particular person. And at the same time, because of what Palpatine is doing, she has the throne and the position that she was supposed to take has now been sort of shifted away from her. And so you see a lot of frustration and you, you take the frustration with what is going on in her life as a member of royalty. And at the same time, her frustration with her own sexuality and how to express that and how to really have rewarding experiences. And that's a great opportunity to have a lot of character development and really understand like, this is why she gravitates toward this guy that she's around and this guy who has professed that he is a very strong attraction to her. And then at the same time, that's something that you can use to show Anakin on his way progressing toward the dark side because one of the things that the Jedi are supposed to do as monks, they're supposed to take this sort of vow of celibacy. That's, that's how I understood it. Because then if they do that, it allows them to bottle up their emotions in a way that they can't be swayed because... Essentially, the way I understand it is the difference between the light and the dark side is with the light, you have this real centered, balanced energy to where you have this incredible amount of power. But instead of using that power, you know, to manipulate people and to do things to benefit yourself, you'd use it for benevolent purposes. Yeah. Someone who is more prone to emotions and to really, you know, being in the throes of passion and then the subsequent throes of, of heartbreak and frustration and anger and remorse and jealousy, that that would cause a person to be more manipulative and to be more of a contentive sort of person and to use those powers for ill purposes. I think I have a pitch. Okay. First major change that you've got to do, it might be a hard pill to swallow, but you got to have Anakin be about 16, 17 years old in the first movie and played by the same actor in all three. Yeah. You know, I know it's a tough pill to swallow, it's so hard, but we got to do it. So, let's say he's like 17, 18 in the first movie. What if he is the bad guy somehow? And Well, that's what I'm saying. You you have him like playing a thief. You have him playing someone but who like is the, causing like, problems but like for the, the Jedi. The bad guy of the movie though. And huh. it, it's one of those things where at the end, Ewan McGregor has has got to fight him and he's all all emotional like force rage. And he def and he gets defeated at the end because he's not you know calm and he's not this and he's not that and they're like dude you're just a boy let us train you you can be on our side how about that something kind of to where he is maybe he's not the main bad guy but he's somebody that 
the bad forces have identified as, here's somebody that's powerful, we can use him to help us. Maybe he's even being groomed to be a Sith. And then the Jedi capture him. Obi-Wan is able to overcome him and, and knock him out. And then what the Jedi plan is, is to have him executed, to have him destroyed. Maybe it's Qui-Gon, maybe it's Yoda, maybe it's Obi-Wan, but, but somebody makes the argument like, look, this is somebody who's really, really powerful. We can use him to help us because right now we're very vulnerable. We're very weak. And here's somebody who can help us regain our strength and regain our position within the Galactic Senate and the Republic. Because he should be like all power and no training. You know, that should be him in the first movie. And as a bad guy, I think it would be interesting just to see this ultra-emotional, like, force power bad guy just I, I think one of, the, one of the issues about that, though, is you would have him transitioning from bad guy to good guy back to bad guy. I think it would work, though, because I think you would see the good guy underneath, even in the first one. Well, what if you have him more as, like, he's a mercenary? Sort of the way that Boba Fett is, where Boba Fett isn't necessarily a bad guy. He's just somebody who is hired by the bad guys to do their bidding. Uh, I mean, well, maybe, but what if... I mean, what if what if he works for someone like uh, Jabba the Hutt, and that's how yeah. they encounter him? That's definitely a maybe. Uh, what if that's what the Jedi come to that planet to do? Because like, they heard that there is this very malicious guy who has powers. He's a local kid. He's got these powers. He's using them for the wrong things. Maybe he's doing something. He's stirring up dust on this planet somehow, and they go down to investigate it. Well, I think even even if you have something more like, you know, the Star Wars version of... The Klingons. Yeah, you have the Star Wars version of the Klingons who are going around and they're the ones who are invading Princess Amidala's planet and that Anakin Skywalker is somebody that they've picked up from another planet and they realize that he was someone that was too powerful for their forces to defeat. So instead they were like, look, you know, we can either take one of our ships and blast you and kill you that way, or you can join us and we'll pay you and you'll be able to ransack and get riches and whatever you want. Yeah. And then that's why the Jedi end up on Princess Amidala's planet and they're battling those forces and they encounter Anakin. And you can still have Darth Maul in the movie because he could be somebody else that is essentially the master to the apprentice which would be Anakin Skywalker and they kill Darth Maul they capture Anakin Skywalker they defeat the Klingon forces yeah. and then that's when he starts his path to where they're like look we can we can change him we can convert him to the light and because he already did have that seed of darkness in him that's when he flips back over because Palpatine has been working with the Klingons all along Right. But <laughs> why are the Klingons in, in there? <laughs> why wouldn't they be? Like, that's the thing. That's that's something that this movie is... Re these series of movies are really, really lacking. It's like, who is the clear bad guy? Like, you know eventually the bad guy has to be the Emperor, but the Emperor is on the side of the good guys. The whole one and a half movies. Right. Then halfway through the second movie, that's when he starts to become a bad guy. And... You know, you have Mace Windu who's like, I think he's a bad guy. You know, he seems like the most obvious yeah. bad guy. And it's like, well, duh, no shit. Well, you know, there's just... no suspense for the audience. There's no twist. There's there's no clever payoffs or anything. I mean, the final battle scene that you have between <laughs> Obi-Wan and Anakin, Yeah. I mean, it goes on forever. It Not starts really off really sense. cool, but it's so boring, man. I felt like the uh, the Sith Lord versus Yoda was more of an epic battle. That was like the first time I saw Yoda like absolutely 
get in that epic battle and like and that was silly tired. his little tiny ass yeah. flipping around yeah, well, his little sword well, what else well, would he done with Yoda like Yoda was probably um, most of the times I saw him he's, sitting he's down. mind over matter he's not about pulling out his little sword and being like ding ding pew 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 yeah, he, like, he he goes from like you know, oh, I'm a little old guy to like all of a sudden I'm flipping around and then I go right back to being a little <laughs> old guy. And like, they don't show that this is something that like drains his energy or drains his life. I mean, I'm sure that's maybe the thing that they meant or maybe they were even hinting at, but they do such a poor job of it. You're just like, so he can just do that at any time he <laughs> wants because now, of course, he's a CGI character. He's not a puppet anymore. Yeah. And it's like, why don't why don't you show him to where, like, yeah, he is spry and he is somebody that, despite being very small, he is very powerful and very capable because yeah. he has such a command of the Force. And then in through one of these battles, he gets so terribly injured that he loses those abilities. And that's why you see the Yoda of the later movies that he can control the force, but that's all he's able to do. He's barely even able to get up and walk around and not because he's a puppet, but because he was injured. Like there's so many things you can do. You have so many great iconic characters. There's so much potential and you don't get that. But I mean, Yoda is one great character that's in like one great sequence of the second movie. And so it's like you take that character that was in a great sequence. I love that sequence. You're talking about uh, Empire Strikes Back, right? Yeah. And then and then you feel the need to put him in all three of the first movies. It's like create new interesting characters that can exist in those movies and let Yoda be in Empire Strikes Back. Which leads me to a complaint about the prequels that I didn't mention before, and it's a perfect summation of, of prequelitis. Those movies existed. You know, eventually they came to exist to be an infomercial for the Clone Wars cartoon series. But just from the very first movie all the way through to Revenge of the Sith, they were just fan service movies. And that's just, that's disappointing. And and the thing is, is I feel like there are going to be so many annoying moments of fan service in the Force Awakens, but yeah. ultimately I don't feel like it's going to be a purely fan service movie. I feel like it is going to be its own story, it is going to own its own characters, that it's going to say, look, here are all the characters that you love and remember, yeah. now say goodbye to them because we're shifting into this movie and it's about these goddamn characters. Yeah, that's going to be tough. You already have the advantage of having great characters, great story. You have a built-in audience, you have great characters, you have a world and a universe, which is literally a universe in which they exist. You have an audience walking in going, I understand what this world is about and how it works. And so all you have to do is stay true to that and make everything make sense and then just make a good goddamn story out of it. And you go with something as simple as a hero's journey, and it seems like it's going to be a hero's journey about that chick becoming a a Jedi princess warrior. Well, Star Wars is a series that the world of it doesn't make as much sense as all that. So it's, it's hard to make sense out of it. But if you can make sense out of the shit in Star Trek, you can easily well, make Star sense. Well, Star Trek makes more sense as a world. <laughs> the world of Star Trek makes more sense. There's so much stuff about Star Trek that is so confusing and doesn't make sense unless you just spend hours and hours watching and reading about that shit. Whereas Star Wars, Star Wars is the dumbed down version of Star Trek. No offense to the Star Wars fans, you know, and I'm not trying to like, you know, give more credence to Star Trek fans, but there is sort of a philosophy that is in the Star Trek series that isn't present in the Star Wars series. You know, the Star Wars series is simply about good versus evil and good managing to overcome evil. And one of the ways that the prequels really failed was to show you how is it that the Galactic Empire 
is evil. Because the Galactic Empire is just essentially, it's the Senate with its own clone army, which eventually becomes the Stormtroopers, a, a conscript army. In that way, do they become evil? But you never really show them being evil. And I do think that they are going to show that in The Force Awakens. They but, are going to have moments of them being very evil, doing some horrific things. But with Star Wars, you don't really know what happens in that world beyond what happens with the Skywalker family. And with Star Trek, you do get more of a feel for what other things are going on in that world. No, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, there is a prevalent philosophy that is flowing throughout it. And it's like, this is the way that the Vulcans operate. And this is the way that Starfleet is supposed to go out and be ambassadors throughout the galaxy. And this yeah. is what the Borg wants. And this is what the Klingons want. And this is how all yeah. of these things interact together. Right. I mean, even with something like Wrath of Khan... You know, you understood, like, Khan was somebody who went mad, and he wanted certain things, and he was going by any means necessary to get those things. Yeah. I think there's stuff there. There's definitely some great seeds to build better versions of the prequels out of. Well, I, I think the prequels is going to be one of those long conversations, because, because you really do have to build it fresh, and there's a lot of big ideas that you have to kind of agree on. But I do think that we got some of our cornerstones out there. Yeah, and I do feel like... This is part one in something that could be a multi-part series that we talk about, where we go back and we say, okay, we're going to start with what would we do differently for Phantom Menace? And then we're going to go back and we say, what would we do yeah. for episode two? What would we do for episode three? But we have to talk all this stuff out, and this is usually the, the easiest way to do it. But I feel like if, if there's in some fashion that Anakin is like the bad guy of the first movie, and that the Jedi sort of win him over and start training him... I think that's a good arc for him, and it makes makes you understand that, yeah, ultimately he is a bad guy. Well, and do you think you can take that idea and marry that with my idea that you need to have the journey of Obi-Wan Kenobi, you show him really struggling to become... Yeah, because he's doing the hero's journey while Anakin is the bad guy of that movie. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you have two opposing yeah, forces easy. that come together. Yeah, easily. And then they start going in the opposite direction by the yeah. time you get to the third movie. Yeah. Like, already that is something I'm way more interested in seeing than going back and rewatching the fucking prequels. What do you think, Arturo? Now that is uh, his other idea about the backstory of the Jedi. Basically how it started everything. It would make more sense if there was a backstory at the beginning because then it would make sense. To but they're never going to explain it because it doesn't make any sense. Yes, exactly. That's, that's the thing that kind of But still, it, it, people Anakin's... have gone and they've written history for what the Jedi Order is, how the Jedi Order came to be. I mean, clearly you see in those movies that there is a whole organizational structure to the Jedi Order. I mean, it was something that obviously went from a, a cult that was practiced somewhere on some world and was brought into the, the Galactic Senate and was given its own building, its own organization and an hierarchy within the Galactic Senate. So if you have all those things that already exist and someone's already thought about that enough to show it in the story, that means that there is a backstory for it. Tell us that backstory. If it's a bad backstory, it's a bad backstory. There's so many bad things in the prequels already it would just be another bad thing. But what I'm saying is let us sit down together and figure out like how do we come up with a good, satisfying backstory in a way that stays true to the story and the characters in the universe, yeah. but also shed some light in a way that the audience can really enjoy and appreciate. Yeah, or at least the basics of it. Uh, well, I think that does it for Sequelitis. We've gone on for a bit. Do you yeah. have, have anything else you want to say for this episode? No. Um, I am looking forward to watching The Force Awakens, and I really do feel optimistic that it will be better than watching the prequels. Arturo, Force Awakens, excited about it? I'm going to watch it. I'm going to take my time. Don't burn it out for me. 
I like to thank our special guest Arturo for hanging out with us while we're recording. And thank you for listening, and please come back and join us when we talk about The Force Awakens. All right.